Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ronaldo! Oh, sensational! It's come down for Kane who scores. He always scores. Italy 3 Turkey 0. Welcome everyone to the first edition of the match day edition of the Gang Pod during the Euros. David Weiner with you once again and as I'll be with you every day through the tournament to bring you all the daily updates, news, talking points and uh, a bit of fun to get us through the month and today I'm joined by well, regular on the Gang Pod, John Aloisi. Great to see you again. Welcome back. It's been all of Two weeks, yeah, two weeks. We How was the off season? Oh yeah, it was great. <laughs> I got a bit of rest in. I had a bit of sleep, but not last night. But um, I was I was too excited to sleep. You know, when a start of a major tournament like this, it's been over three hundred and sixty days, I think, in in while we were waiting for it, and um, and also a team that I support because um, mm. you know coming from Italian parents and uh, you know as a kid always supporting Italy at the World Cups because Australia. Never qualified while I was growing up, and also in the Euros. So to see Italy play the opening game in Rome, I was excited. Dave, it's a tournament that stirs the emotions. There's no doubt about that. And we're joined today uh, by Nick Stoll. Nick, welcome not only to the Gagapod, the Gagapod debut. Welcome to Optus Sport. A couple of weeks in here. Great to have you here. Welcome. And uh, how did you enjoy this morning's game? Oh, I was so excited. For me, it's like Christmas morning. You know, you wake up. You know, you, the national anthem start. Nessun Dorma was playing. It was it was an incredible start to the day. And Italy knows how to throw a party. Let's be honest. Everything there, the color, everything. It was so exciting. So, and I think they gave the fans the performance that uh, they deserved. Actually, well, that's exactly where we're going to start this morning, John. It was a statement win. Half time, we were thinking they've got to unlock Turkey here. They've got to be patient. Didn't reach any height. And then the first time. Ever they have scored three goals in a European Championship match? You could see it coming in the first half. I thought the Italians played well without creating too many clear cut chances, but it kept on building. They 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 kept on like really putting pressure on the Turkey and um, and Turkey. Their game plan was to frustrate Italy, try and catch them on the counter attack. But the Italians were well positioned, um, especially in the midfield. Giorgino he did a really good mm. job in the midfield. Um, Chiellini, who people were. Doubting because of his age, um, he was outstanding along with Benucci. Great fist pumping late in the 80th, 80 minutes. That's very Italian-like, isn't it? You do not want to concede. Yeah. So the Italians are very well known for their defending, obviously, but today they showed. Under Mancini, they're a very good attacking side. They've got attacking flair. Barella, who was quiet in the first half, I thought he was very good in the second, finding space. He's the one that sort of set up the chance for the goal, um, and and the, the last goal, the second goal as well. But um, Insigne and uh, Spinazzola on that left side really dominated. Spinazzola, what a machine he is going forward. It was like he was playing at home in the Olympic Stadium. You know, Roma player. He felt at home. He certainly did. And we'll touch on that with Adriano Del Monte shortly. We'll expand a little bit more. But before we do, uh, Nick, are you sticking by your pick of uh, Turkey as a dark horse for the for the Euros at this point? I, mean, I got to say, they're a translucent pony. This, <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> uh, the first, 
I mean, translucent <laughs> pony. Well, well, we, have, we have to say this Turkey team. They beat France yep. uh, in the qualifiers in 2019. Yep. They also recently beat Norway three 0 away. You know, Norway is no pushover. They beat the Netherlands four two as well. We know the Netherlands have their issues, but there was good reason to think that Turkey was going to be a dark horse. I'm not going to say I was the only one to say it. Yeah, no, Milsey did have them to win the tournament. And um, look, I still think they can get through this group stage. It's a tough one because Switzerland. Again, are very strong, and uh, and Wales. We saw how well they did the last Euro, but uh, let's not write off Turkey just yet because they've got a good squad, a good set of players, and a very experienced manager. And can I just say, seven from seven, Turkey has lost every single first game they've ever had in a major tournament, Euro and World Cup. So, you know, we've seen them make a semi-final in a World Cup, so they, they can turn it around. We've seen it done in the past. But they're awful at starting tournaments. That was a very cheeky question because there's no doubt they can bounce back from this. And this was, the in a way, the bonus game of the group for them. But they did surprise with how, I guess, uh, how much they did retreat and how much they, you know, that, that they really struggled to get the ball uh, further up the park as well. But you look at, this was a potential banana skin for Italy. And in the last four Euros, it has been tricky for the hosts on the opening night. Even France last time out had to you know, get rescued late on. But the characteristics of this side with Mancini, they play lovely football. We know that. But they haven't conceded a goal this year, this calendar year either. They haven't lost in three years, John. So it was tremendous in that sense. But you mentioned Spinazzola. That's before we go to Adriano. That's what I want to touch on today because everyone coming to the tournament we spoke about the attacking stocks, we spoke about the two rocks and the veterans at the back, we spoke about the keeper, we spoke about fabulous midfield, even missing Verratti today. We didn't speak much about the fullbacks. No, we didn't. And Spinazzola it can play on the right and also on the left. He's a right footer. And so I think it played into his hands that Emerson wasn't playing regularly at club football. So Spinazzola got the nod. And the way Insignia drifts inside into that sort of number 10 position, that attacking midfielder, gives him space to go forward. And he was finding the space uh, this morning. I, I thought that he was probably player of the game. But... I gave it to Insigne because Insigne is an attacking player and he scored a goal and he, he was uh, every time he got the ball you knew something was going to happen even in the first half when there was no space he was the only one that really found that space yeah, I want to say, you did make fun of my prediction for Turkey, but I would like to, for the record, say <laughs> that I had Italy to be champions and I had Insigne to be player of the tournament. So it's, it's not a bad start. It's yeah, not a bad start. Good we'll start. See. We'll see. But, John, I wanted to ask you as well, what did you think of their counter-pressing? And we've known oh. Italy, you know, traditionally as a, you know, Catanaccio, sit back, absorb a lot of pressure. Not this time, huh? They were really pressing. Yeah, they did. As soon as they lost the ball, they were on the front foot defending forward. And because they were so close together, and, and it happens when Insigne and Barella are inside in those positions, and then you also had Locatelli and Jorginho well positioned. They were able to win the ball back very early. And uh, and even you saw when Chiellini got caught forward on mm. the corner or whatever else, he was the first one to press. And so it, the mindset of the Italians is completely different from when they didn't qualify for the World Cup. Because when they didn't qualify, it was sort of like, we have to make sure that we don't get caught on the counter, so we drop and we retreat straight away. This is different. This this Italian side is different. They lose the ball, let's win it back in the first three, four seconds. We do that, we'll be able to keep the ball, shift the opposition, and eventually we'll create our chances. Well, that's the perfect moment to cross to Rome, where we've got Adriano Del Monte on standby on the way back from the stadium, where he's enjoyed the night out with Paolo Ocon. Hopefully, they both had a bit of a pizza margarita to warm up after the occasion but speaking of Mancini and how he's changed the side added some buzz and attacking intent to them how has that spun off into the mood in Rome Adriano what's it like out there tonight Dave thanks for having me first and most importantly no still haven't had that pizza so it's been a very long day but an enjoyable one uh, certainly an enjoyable one here in Rome and well 
a little quiet the streets of Rome. There are various curfews across the cities in Italy at the moment, but a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz about what was well, a famous Italian performance. Very rarely have we seen an Italy team open up a tournament in this fashion. And look, it was great to see. And look, not surprising. We have seen Italy perform like this in the lead up, obviously now unbeaten in 28. But as I said, very pleasing to open a tournament in this fashion. How, how how instrumental has Mancini been in, in the, the way this team has changed? Nick and John just spoke about the counter-press, the energy that they have going forward, pinning Turkey mm. back this morning. It's a real blueprint, isn't it, for what we'll see for them throughout the tournament, no matter who they play against, whether it's teams that do sit back or, or otherwise as they get to the business end of the tournament, if they do. Well, absolutely. We discussed in the live coverage, obviously, uh, going forward now, Italy are equally as, as effective, if not more so, than in defence, where obviously, historically, they've made their mark. But I think for me, overall, there has been a lot of talk about, in terms of tactical and formation, what he's brought to this team. But it's the mentality for me which has changed. Because for many, many years, in fact, well, for as long as I can remember, Italy have always play just to do enough and they really turn up to perform when it counts but this is an Italian team that irrespective of the opponents, irrespective of the significance of the match, they play to win. Now that may sound ridiculous but if you follow followed Italy as closely as I have for the entirety of my life, there have been many games where the opponent may not have seen the toughest of opponents and well they've dropped points on multiple occasions. You only have to look at the 2010 and 2014 World Cups particularly where they failed to beat the likes of New Zealand Paraguay, Slovakia, and Costa Rica, with all due respect to those nations, Italy, the mentality for me is what has changed. And I do feel with that in mind, Mancini will get the very best out of this squad here in the Euros this summer. Adriano, how do you think Immobile is going to go now? That uh, he's, There's been a lot of mm. criticism about him, even like he scores virtually every week for Lazio. Um, but with the Italian <laughs> national team, the, the media have been going from it of late. Uh, how do you think that he'll find this now? Will, he, will this give him confidence at least? It has to give him confidence, doesn't it? The, the, the fact he scored a, a first goal, obviously, from open play, given the fact the first was the own goal. But the fact that he was able to make his mark on this significant night can only do his confidence the world of good. Obviously, in the Stadio Olimpico, where he scored on so many occasions, for last year, one of their all-time top goal scorers. So, look, I, I do feel that Immobile will, will get the confidence required, but we know that with some players, they perform better at club level than at national team level, and that has been the ongoing concern. Can Immobile do it? Can he stand up against the very best? Because he hasn't done that just yet. But, look, one step in the right direction Italy now certainly in a commanding position. And again, another thing that I said on the live telecast, Immobile and Insigne are the two players here in the local media that they are pitting their hopes on that the goals will come from. Just one thing, John, as a striker, in terms of different environments, obviously Italy haven't perhaps previously in Immobile's career provided the framework for a strike of his nature to succeed. Um, you talk about the record in Rome. I think I saw this morning 38 goals in 45 games at that stadium in the last two years. So that was a great place for him to have, to, to kill that headline in a way. The first game, that headline's gone. Um, but talk to us about the environment and how that might facilitate Immobile coming to the fore at the international level. It definitely helps, especially playing at home in the Stadio Olimpico because he plays there every second week. He knows, uh, you just, he knows the changing room. He knows when he's walking out into that stadium, what it feels like when there's fans in there. And, um, and also the way... 
Mancini set this team up. He will get his chances. And Immobile, whenever he does get chances, he scores. It, 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 you know, he's shown it at club level. So it's, um, I think that uh, it's, they've been very harsh, the Italians, which they do <laughs> get in the media, um, to be critical of him. Now you'll see the real Immobile under Mancini, and I think he's scored uh, four in five. So it's not like he's been struggling with Mancini. He struggled before Mancini arrived. Uh, Adriano, I wanted to ask, uh, being in the stadium, of course, you know, 16,000 fans, uh, I wanted to ask two things. First, uh, Andrea Bocelli's Nessantoma <laughs> before the game. It looked epic on TV, but tell us, what was it like to be inside the stadium? And secondly, I noticed through the coverage, I don't know if this was kind of, maybe we were just interpreting it, but there was a lot of whistles early on in the first half. Mm. I was just wondering, was that the Turkish fans, the Italian fans, and what exactly were they were whistling? Well, let's start with Bocelli, because that was even better than the game. That was <laughs> Truly magical. Blessed to have been there to have witnessed that because that was something very special. The ticket alone was worth it for that. But look, in terms of the. No, well, I didn't have to pay for the ticket. I'm talking about the 16,000 fans that had to pay for their ticket, and I don't know how much they were going for. Adriano, no, I, look, I like you a lot, but, but and I love Bocelli, but it wasn't better than the yeah. game because the game of football that All right, else yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm just trying to do Bocelli some good down under, but no, look, I, the performance was incredible. But yeah, the game was very special, no doubt about that. The whistling, it was bizarre. It was happening a lot around us. There were small pockets of Turkish fans in various parts of the stadium, obviously social distancing, but there were Turkish fans all across. And I do feel, or I did see that in our particular area, there were the Turkish fans whistling quite loudly every time the Italian defence were, were playing the ball out from the back. And then the Italians were singing over the top. Look, in the end, irrespective of where the whistles were coming from, for me, it was my first game in Italy in 18 months that I've seen fans in the stands. Mm. The last game was actually Roma Lazio. I covered in late January 2020. So I was loving each and every sound, whether it came out of Bocelli or a Turkish or Italian So it was a great night. Awesome, awesome. Hey, Adriana, just from your vantage point uh, watching the game today, I think one thing we haven't touched on a lot was um, obviously at halftime it was tight. Maybe Turkey were where they possibly wanted to be at that point. And then did you feel it was a, a more of a Turkey, um, I guess, not being able to hold their composure once they went 1-0 down? Or, or to what extent do you think Locatelli, Barella, Jorginho came to the fore in the midfield for Italy in terms of being so patient uh, against such a packed defence and such an organised side. You know, they call the Turkish Wall for a reason. Yeah. Mm. Oh, look, I'm not sure how it looked from the television, but certainly inside the stadium, it did feel that the Italian goal was coming. And I wasn't surprised that they did find the breakthrough early on in that second half. It is a taxing game to play, sitting 10 men behind the ball and just weathering the storm with the countless amounts of shots coming from the Italians. And look, in the end, the midfield, obviously, they were dominant in possession over the course of the 90 minutes. But, well, yeah, eventually the ball did break on the 53rd minute, I think it was. And, well, that was that. Turkey then obviously needed to... to did they really try to chase the goal? Probably not. But, obviously, then it, it shifted a little more in favour of the Italians. But certainly at halftime, despite how tight it was, in the first 45 minutes, I wasn't surprised that it opened up in the second half. 
Adriana, I wanted to ask the the feeling within kind of the Italian media, but also, you know, the streets of Italy, you're, you're there on the ground. Mm. Um, you know, Italians here that I've spoken to in Australia a few weeks ago when mm. I asked them how they're feeling, they go, I think we're going to do well, but they weren't really going that we're going to win it. Then I've spoken to them mm. in the last few days and they're really getting confidence. The belief <laughs> that comes at the start of the tournament as it edges. Wait till you ask them this morning yeah. after this game. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to say. Is the, feeling, is the feeling in Italy, in Rome, that, listen, this could be our year. We, we, we feel really really good about this team we're going to go all the way yeah yeah look if we go into every tournament expecting to win they're they're a country that have had a, a lot of success and it has been a bit strange because if we come into this tournament off the back of missing the 2018 world cup which is still at the forefront of many people's minds and look they've done some good work since but that has been the shadow that has been lingering and now that has resulted in some people suggesting Italy are a dark horse. Now, when have Italy ever been a dark horse for an international <laughs> tournament before? I've, I've never heard that in my life. But look, it, it, at this point in time, there is a lot of confidence. And I can tell you here, I'm Milan-based, and certainly the Milan media at the very least have been very much focusing on the Italian national team and the Euro 2020 finals since basically late February, early March, when the final Italian teams were kicked out of the Champions League. So there has been a lot of building and growing of this narrative about Italy's potential success this summer. But certainly, I think if you ask me tomorrow morning, I'm sure the, the papers will be reading on our way to London already. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I think we don't underestimate the Mancini factor. Yep. We all know he's a great coach, the, the experience. But he was also there, Italian 90. So mm. he understands the pressures mm. that come with having a, a home you know, World Cup, now home Euro, especially in these uh, early games. So he's able to deal with that. He's able to probably take the pressure away from the players a lot because I was scared yeah. that they were going to feel the pressure because mm. like Adriana said, they hadn't had crowds in the stadium for over a year. And for the first time, I thought, oh, this could be a little bit uh, of a tricky one because of the crowd factor. But I tell you what, they performed. It didn't look like they were playing with any fear at all. They, they were brilliant. I'll just say as well, um, Spinazzola saying post-match, he said, the emotion started on the bus towards the stadium. Seeing all the people in the streets, it really did give us goosebumps. And you can see with three games at home mm. uh, for, the, for the group stage, I think Italy are really going to build towards the tournament. But Adriana, one question I wanted to ask you was, what was with their squad announcement, uh, you know, video came out and how good was that how has that gone down in italy Absolutely. is this the reason that they've started well, the tournament so well <laughs> guys if you know anything about italy anything obscure is just normal so it was very very normal for italy and i won't lie i watched every single second of it with pleasure it went for two and a half hours didn't they do it the squad after midnight to, yeah they, they, they forgot it, to do it the was, squad. It was incredible. <laughs> They forgot the squad. They did not announce the squad. They released it online 15 minutes after it had finished. And making it even more bizarre, the two players who were actually cut from the 26 that were there in attendance were there in attendance for the entirety of the program. So they found out after that two-and-a-half-hour bonanza that they were cut from the squad, which would have been a very bizarre experience for them. But in the end, it was it was a strange way to unveil the squad. Earlier in the day, I think England had a two-minute press conference Belgium much the same as well, but Italy being Italy, they, they did it their way and, well, it's worked. One win from one game and we'll see what's to come in the remainder of the group stage. And they will hope to do it the Mancini way all the way through to who knows how far, dark horse or not. Uh, there'll be plenty of people in Australia in particular following it closely. Adriano, thank you so much for staying up and for your time today, for your work today. Enjoy the night. Uh, look after Paolo and uh, we'll see you soon on our coverage. Buonanotte, guys. Thank you very much. Ciao. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Halftime, it was tense and tight. How big was the substitution? The Di Lorenzo coming on, right fullback. They were very left-centered. Uh, left Is that such a thing? They were left heavy on the first half. Did uh, Lorenzo bring a balance to it that allowed uh, you know, a little bit more of, of, of space on the left? And, and how influential was that on Berardi's key, key role going forward? So if you saw in the first half, Lorenzi was actually in the build-up in a back three. And he probably he saw at uh, halftime that uh, they weren't putting much pressure, so he didn't really need to build up in a three. He was allowing then Di Lorenzo to go forward, but not always overlapping. He was underlapping, so he was going inside Berardi. Berardi might have started wide and he might come inside, but what that does, it actually shifts players. And I thought that was a good move, what he did, because he actually was... A, they started to dominate on the right side. Mm. It was a little bit different to the, the first half with the left. So when they did attack on the right... They were creating chances on the left. So Insigne was able to get in position. Spinazzolo had the shot that ended up going back to uh, Immobile. And that was all on the right. We're in the first half, Berardi was not seen. Barella didn't really get on the ball. Um, and I think Di Lorenzo made a big difference. I'll just say as well, uh, in the first half, Italy were obviously frustrated tactically because they couldn't break through. But also there was a number of handball decisions that they were certain was handball because, you know, in Serie A, those decisions are often given. But one thing that Insigne said post-match was he said, Mancini told us to remain calm at halftime. He said it's something that can happen, urge us to remain focused on the game. So that's what we did and we achieved our goal. Mm. So, you know, obviously he makes the tactical changes. But also I think they, the mentality of the Italians, they managed it very well emotionally. And they... Yeah. Ju- and that, and that, that's what you have to do at halftime because if you start to like get frustrated that the, and the players will mm. because it's natural that they're getting frustrated first with the handball decision which look I was happy that the referee didn't give it but mm. you see them given and so a frustration kicks in but you can't control that decision anymore mm. don't worry we're playing well enough we'll make a little tweak to our system and uh, and we'll create chances be patient be patient we've got the quality and and you saw it, it shone through in the end and mm. you know it's not one-off and and we know that how good they are defensively but their game just coming into this tournament they beat the Czech Republic 4-0 and so you know they've got goals in them you know they can create chances and that's what he would have been saying boys remain calm We'll get our chances and we'll take them. Well, they adapted. They, they and that's why I, I asked about Locatelli and, and Barella because they definitely worked into the game. They found space and, and, and pockets they weren't initially. And we've got to remember, there's a team that if things didn't go to plan, they could have brought on a Chiesa. Uh, they have Marco Verratti to come back in later on. So I'm not trying to get carried away, but it is exciting to watch a team that actually you know did excite us this morning. But not everything went to plan. They've got a few set pieces to work on uh, at training, you think, or at least try to work out the language of maybe the officials if they want to if they want to get away with it going forward. Okay, well we got we got to discuss this. This was everyone was confused. No one knew at the very start of the first, this is the very start of the second half. Italy take a corner. Uh, Insigne goes out and Berardi also, and then they play the ball. They play a short corner. The ball goes backwards, and the referee flags for offside. And everyone was like, "What? What's going on? You can't be offside from a corner." There's confusion. What's going? On? They even tried it a second time before the assistant referee said, "I'm going to." do it again. I'm going to put you offside. Now, we have clarification over what exactly went down. Basically, the attacking player, when they come off the field, unless they're obviously taking the corner, they need to get permission from the referee. So this is what the IFAB says. A player who deliberately leaves the field of play and re-enters without the referee's permission 
and is not penalised for offside and gains an advantage, must be cautioned. So actually, he should have got a yellow card, according <laughs> so to So the rules. referee's got it wrong. So the referee's got it wrong. Uh, the, the Italians seem very confused. I would love to know how you even ask permission of a referee who doesn't speak your language. See, I think Berardi, because we have to remember the assistant referee and the referee are Dutch, and uh, I, I think Berardi would have said, okay, and then... and, and he, Back in probably English, the uh, the assistant referee would have said, uh, no, you're not allowed to do I'll flag you offside. Yeah. And Berardi probably didn't understand a word he said because most Italians don't understand much English. <laughs> and, uh, and he would have thought that he was okay. They would have known the rule... Because they wouldn't have, they would have practiced it. I, mm. I think they would have been switched on about it. I, I don't think they would have been that stupid. I would hope they <laughs> weren't that stupid twice to do that. Because um, you know they would have practiced that set piece in training. They would have got all the details, the rules, and whatever else. So the referee got it wrong. I'm going to give credit to the Italians for trying something different because it was fun to watch. It was fun <laughs> to see him get caught offside and confuse everyone. And they've blown the trick in a game where they. Yeah. Forgot that they can't speak the language with the person they're asking permission for. So we've got to work on that. Scoozy, scoozy. They're going to be doing Duolingo every week with the different referees and working out, okay, this is how I say it. No, it's good. See, it's all about the details. There's one last detail left they've got to sort out. But no, that is a picking it, picking it, uh, the, the finer details there because it was a fabulous performance in the end. A lovely way to open the tournament. And uh, we've got so much more to look forward to. Now, they do too because uh, their next game is against Switzerland, who we will see tonight. Against Wales, where uh, we've both joked about uh, Turkey, don't rule them out. But this is an opportunity for the Swiss and the Welsh to make an early statement in terms of that second spot. We know that the groups will have windows of opportunity because four third-place teams will go through. But Turkey have got a bit of work to do with their goal difference already. So this is a big opportunity tonight for Switzerland and Wales. Absolutely. And if you look at it, I think a lot of teams are going to get through on three points. So you pick up one victory, that could be enough. So it's so crucial for both these teams. I'm very excited to see uh, Gareth Bale play tonight. Obviously, we saw at the tail end of his Premier League season that there's still a very high quality player, only 31 years old. But yeah, I think if we see something special from Gareth Bale... We could see Wales go definitely through this. Well, we know they've got the ability to go deep because that's exactly what they did in 2006. I have a feeling, particularly with Bale being quite cagey in the press, that he's planning to almost go out with a bang here. Like he's hinted, there are people speculating that he might be retiring. I think he's up for a massive tournament regardless uh, because we don't even know where he's going to be playing his club football next year. But these are two teams, John, that um, this is a particularly tight group because these there's a lot of evenly matched teams. A lot of, I know, Switzerland, it's the same team we've seen for a long time, but they always do a job at this point of a yeah. tournament. And Wales are arguably got more to strings to their bow than they did when they did so well a few years ago. Yeah, a lot of people are underestimating Wales. Um, they made the semi-final of last tournament and this tournament, I think you're right. I think they've got more depth. I think they've got more about them. But, um, you know, Bale's obviously not the same player he was in the last Euro, but they've got Daniel James that's lightning mm. quick. Um, I, I actually like this Welsh team. I think they can cause issues and problems to the opposition and uh, but it's a tough game because Switzerland are a good side mm. Switzerland are a side that are always there always difficult to beat they still got quality going forward Shakiri, you know he's, he seems to perform out of his skin for uh, Switzerland and you know you've you got Shaka that performs well for Switzerland you've you got an experienced uh, coach and you've got the experienced defenders um, they play like a, a five 3-2, and so they're hard to break down as well. And going forward, like I said, they've got quality. Shakiri grows five foot tall for the Swiss when he comes onto those Just tournaments. Just in his calves. <laughs> yeah. and, and we've got to say, in the Nations League, they had some pretty good results against Germany and uh, Spain. So yeah, they're a very competitive team. So that, that, this, is, this group is, is really tight if Turkey have any aspirations of 
uh, picking that gap and getting through in second or in third. So Italy, uh, once that game is played, by the way, Italy's next game is against Switzerland and Turkey play Wales in Baku. Now, once we get through Wales and Switzerland tonight, today's the warm-up. Today we've indulged in our Italy chat today because today is a one-game match day. Coming on from here, it's three a night. We're all set for all-nighters, wall-to-wall football. Uh, it happens tonight at 2 a.m. when Thomas Sorensen's Denmark take on Finland. Now, Denmark should, John, be fancying themselves, not just in this game, but to have a pretty decent tournament. But Finland, they're on a high. They, they are so happy to be here, but they also don't come in in great form. This is Denmark's... Yeah, to, you to think and Denmark are playing at home. Uh, you think with the squad they've got, they've got a very well-balanced squad. The only thing that I could say that you say they're lacking a little bit is a real number nine. Mm. You know, they've got Braithwaite that plays a little bit wider. You've got Polson that plays a little bit wider. So they've got pace. The number nine is probably what they're lacking. Ericsson just behind who he played this ball the other day in a friendly game. And I think Polson didn't even know the ball was going to come. It was it was outstanding. And then in the midfield, you've got Delaney and you've got... Uh, Hoiberg. Hoiberg. So you've got good balance in the midfield and at the back they're strong. So I think that they're a side that will get through the group and uh, and then after that, just depends who you end up playing in the knockout stages. They could find themselves very deep into the tournament. Well, I was just going to say as well, on the home ground advantage, that's what I'm really interested yeah. in with Switzerland at home. We saw Italy at home, obviously a great team, but Immobile scoring, like you said, it's his home ground. Spinazzola, it's his home ground as well. So we're going to see if the Danes are very comfortable at home and is this going to be a trend across because obviously there's you know, all these different hosts. Will it help England? Yeah, well, absolutely. Scotland. Will it help, you know, will it help uh, Spain? Spain is going to play a game against Slovakia at 6 p.m. You, you'll know this. In it's Seville. hot. It is Seville, hot. 6 p.m. in summer. Yeah, yeah. 36 and, degrees. And I don't know if the Slovaks uh, really <laughs> like the heat that much. So it's a, it's an interesting one. We won't jump ahead into Spain because they've had a difficult time, haven't they? But I'm sure we'll... We'll get, the, the, we'll get there. The we'll, we'll get there, John. We'll get there. We'll get there. Now it's it's a skewed it's a skewed home ground advantage. It, it makes it why this is a tournament you can't predict anything with any certainty because we've never experienced it. But very different if you're playing in your own backyard in Copenhagen or whether you're going to Baku, uh, flying in between games, zipping in and out, uh, particularly in the current conditions. So that's one to watch as well. Next up is Belgium against Russia. Tasty game this one, but I think it's a it's a good early test for a slightly underdone Belgium. Yeah, you know what. I know it's slightly underdone because uh, Eden Hazard isn't the same player that he was when he was at Chelsea. He's had a lot of injuries. He's coming with no form at all. I'll be surprised if uh, Martinez actually starts him. Mm. I think he'll start to bring him in and, and hopefully get his confidence up. But what players they have going forward? You know, Lukaku's been in the form of his life. He's a beast up top. You know, to try and get the ball off of him. And then he scores goals. 60 goals in 90-odd appearances. He, it's incredible. Then De Bruyne, yes, coming from that, uh, is, I think it was an eye socket injury mm. or cheekbone injury. So, yeah, he's not coming in, in form. But you've got other players, Carrasco, around him. And you've got, all, uh, you know, I, they've got so many good players going forward. And I love Tielemans. For me, Tielemans is one of the best midfielders you do, at the You moment. do love Tielemans. Oh, I've watched him play all season. And uh, for 24-year-old, I think he, he actually controls a football game. He bosses a football game. He's got defensive qualities, but plus he's got passing ability. So that defensive quality is, is just a quick one. Because I look at the balance of the team thinking, if De Bruyne is fit, he's probably got one partner with him. Does Tielemans give them that balance? Are they, are they too attack-minded in a big game? Like, would he, I can see Martinez possibly being tempted with Axel Witzel if he is fit. Yeah, I look, I, I still think that he will go with two sitting midfielders and, and allow Tielemans to actually get forward on occasions. Because last friendly game, he put then. 
Lyndon Kerr, I mm. think, was next to him. And so that that gave him a good balance. I think he might use De Bruyne in a div- different position. They might use him a, a, a little bit higher, that he can drift inside. And because you've got Castagna on the mm. right side, that will get forward. So if, if I think the wider players up top won't play wide. They'll play as inverted wingers slash number 10. So that's how he might use De Bruyne. Well, we know that De Bruyne is going to actually miss the first game. They ruled him out with injury in the press conference today. So that will give Tielemans, you know, full creative control, especially, like you say, Hazard is probably not the focal point anymore. But one thing I say about Lukaku, and from a striker's perspective, he's a striker who doesn't even seem to need that great service. He can turn – he just gets the ball – Puts his ass into the defender. The defender has no chance to turn and shoot. He's an incredible, incredible player who I think has actually massively improved his games from previous tournaments. Yeah, look, uh, with Antonio Conte, he improved immensely. But I think that not only his game, I think his confidence. I think, you know, before everyone was saying, oh, his touch will get away from him. You know, his his ball control isn't always the best. His ball control is good. He controls the game in terms of when he's got his back to play. But then when he starts to face a player... I'll tell you what, he can get past them. He only needs a half a yard to get a shot in as well. He's, I think, at the moment, you know, you talk about number nines, he has to be up there with one of the best, uh, and he's in the form of his life. And he's my tip for the golden boot, so bring on this chat. All right, there we go. But I was just going to say as well, Belgium, the one thing I'm a bit questioning about is defensively, you know, mm. a bit a bit older. A bit older. Vertonghen's been playing for Benfica, not going so well. What do you think about them defensively? Probably not going to get tested by Russia if they play anything like they did in 2018, very defensive. That's the only thing that can let them down. I think their age at the back, uh, you know, lets them down a little bit. They're, they're probably not as strong, and that's why I think he's gone with three mm. slash five if they have to defend deep at times. And uh, Courtois a good that what a season it, yeah, he's, he's probably the best goalkeeper, one of the best in the world at the moment. And so that will help them and give the, the defender confidence, but that could let them down because if they do play in the opposition half, the back three aren't that quick. Mm. You know, They're not lightning quick anyway. Interesting to see what he does and whether that back three, yeah, this is the moment for that gone generation. So this will be a, this is their moment to make sure they're at their very, very best to have that deep run and challenge the big guns going into the business end of the tournament so three games tonight 9pm we kick off with warm up with Mel and Claude so don't forget you miss don't miss that one be it on on Optusport or on our social channels three games coming up wall to wall pre-game post-game coverage the whole way through after we finish at 7.30 we've got the brekkie wrap with Jules and Schwarzer and then if you need some more or if you actually work and need to sleep through the night you can listen to us on the podcast maybe on the way home from work or while you're doing something at work or on a run or whatever. So we've got you covered. We've got you covered. I will definitely listen to it again while I'm about to go to sleep, Dave. (laughs) might put me to sleep (laughs) listening to my own voice. And that's the plug that we're on on the promo line. Outstanding. (laughs) Now, guys, before we wrap up, the beauty about the podcast, we'll be able to talk about all the news that is developing through the Euros and the Copper America as well, because there's going to be so much. Of course, the Socceroos won this morning, Saturday morning, 3-0 against Nepal to make it three from three. Seven wins straight as well. Um, So good momentum there. But results that the Socceroos ought to be getting at this point in World Cup qualifying, bigger tests to come. I just do want to ask you, before we wrap up today, though, about Ange Postacoglu. Um, We foreshadowed it on the Champions League final weekend and we've been watching all the speculation since and now it has happened. John, how does it make you feel? I, I look at uh, you know Sky Sports and I look at uh, seeing Ange Postacoglu announcing Celtic colours and, and, and making all those headlines over there and um, I get chills. 
Yeah, it, you know what? It's exciting. It's exciting for, for Ange, of course, but for Australian football in general. And uh, you just think about, like, just before he took the Brisbane Raw job, he couldn't get a coaching role. No one wanted to touch him. And then as soon as he got that Brisbane Raw job, he showed that, you know what, I'm not afraid of the, the critics. I'm not afraid to play the football that I believe is the right football to play to win football games. And, um, you know, he's a pioneer for us coaches and for Australian football because he's the first one really to step into and you say, look, the Scottish League, no disrespect, it's not the Premier League, but Celtic's a massive club. And there's going to be massive pressure on him because they got Champions League qualifiers first. Then they have got to compete with a Rangers side that won the league comfortably. It's a big club to go into, but I still think that Ange is going to show everyone around the world what he can actually do at that level. The headlines have been interesting over in Scotland. It's been Fascinating, almost addictive uh, reading. Absolutely. I mean, he is on every back page in Scotland, and Scotland is about to play in their first major tournament in 20 years. So that shows you what an impact he's already making. It's incredible to think. 13 years ago, he was coaching park, you know, in a park in Victoria, and there he is, Celtic Champions League, going up against Steven Gerrard. It's an, incredible, it's an incredible moment for Australian football. I was really happy to hear my former manager, Gordon Strachan, back him yeah. and say, look, this guy's a top manager. You know, just because you don't know him, and he, he likes the fact that he thinks outside the box. And he, he, he said, I want to go to see his training, to see what he's doing, you know, how he's preparing the teams. And that's coming from a manager that managed that Celtic, very successful there, successful with the Scottish national team. I go, you know what? I'm happy mm. that he's he's backed Ange because he's not just one of those outside, well, outsiders, those pundits that go, oh, he's not from Europe. Mm. He's not from, the, the you know, the UK. You know, how can he be any good? No, no, no. He's shown with his football he's good. He's shown with our national team he's good. Yeah. He's won an Asian Cup. He's got the Australia to the World Cup. When he went up against Louis van Gaal at the World Cup, and no, again, no disrespect to our national team, we shouldn't even be on the same pitch as that Dutch national team, and we took the game to him. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think it's great, and, and I, I, I hope they give him time because he, sometimes he does need a little bit of yeah. you know, uh, confidence from the board and from the club. And uh, once he gets the confidence, I'll tell you what, he'll, he'll make sure that he gets success. There. It's been interesting watching the reaction go from initial disappointment of how has Celtic had to go to Japan for an Australian to become the manager, and then watching them do a little bit of research and have a look at his pedigree, some of the highlights, and you can start to see, okay, this, this might be an exciting adventure. Like Maybe we're up for this. has been a bit of blind faith. Like, okay, if this is what we're in for, we, we love what his history shows us, and, and his attacking football is what we're about. But I thought, you know, you said set expectations. I thought his opening statement was really deliberate and really well thought. He already says, our club, the type of football we want to make, I want you to enjoy what we're doing. We've heard all that before, but that's an opening statement to sweep you off your feet a little bit if you're a Celtic fan down in the dumps after what's happened last season. Yeah, and and look, the important thing is, and especially over in a country like that, and and you're talking about in Glasgow where there's two major clubs, you know, Rangers and Celtic, they both hate each other. It's important you get the backing from your supporters. So winning the media over is a a big thing, and he would have done that straight away. You know what? You'll love the football that we're going to play. We're going to play attacking football, and all of a sudden they're going, okay, this is good. But it's not only attacking football, it's winning football. That's what they want to hear. And, and straight away they go, oh, this guy's coming in with confidence. He's not, he's not coming in thinking, oh, you know what, I'm just going to make sure I feel my way into a club. Mm. No, no, no. I've got a 12-month rolling on contract. I believe in myself. 
And and that's what he's done. And I think that the supporters would, would take to that. And I'll just say as well, you know, we've seen often that it's his second season that he has the success in. The first season is a lot of change. But this is going to be the first time where he's actually taking over a team that's very rich. You know, it's one of the richest teams in the comp. Yokohama, I think, had the 10th mm, yeah. budget. You know, Brisbane Raw, obviously, salary cap, victory, Socceroos, like you said. Yeah. We didn't have the playing quality of other World Cup squads. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he does with that and if the success comes a lot quicker. And I think it will. He doesn't, yeah, it will definitely. He will. And he has to. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't necessarily have to look for the rough diamond. I was fascinated to look at the reflection of Yokohama fans who pointed out the four or five players that made their national team debuts after playing for him, who he plucked from second division and found in a country who doesn't speak the language. So if you can do that there, you'd like to think if you've got the resources at your disposal or the, or the playing pedigree, um, that he can do that. But he will have to hit the ground running. That'll be the interesting thing over the next, say, two, three months is watching the tone if the first few results don't go to plan. Because that will, that will be where... Celtics' patience and Celtics' vision will be really tested. What I can't wait for is once the world opens up, I'm going to head on the plane and I'm going to go watch Celtic against Rangers and I'm going to see Ange's style of football... And, and and it's just something that I'm looking forward to already. It's one of this one. I've got it on my uh, bucket list already. And I think a lot of Australians will. Anyone, any Aussies over in Britain will probably want to yeah. get up there. But also to sit, hear the Celtic fans sing the songs of Ange Postecoglou because that's probably what's going to happen. Because if you look at it, Brisbane Raw fans fell in love with him. Socceroos fans fell in love with him. Yokohama fans fell in love with him. It's. I mean, I think it's going to happen at Celtic too. And we know that crowd is incredible. So when they're singing about Ange Postecoglou, that's going to be a real special moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a gripping story to watch over the next few months, and not just a moment for. Australia. Australian fans, actually, to be honest with you, there's not many big clubs that have taken a plunge on coaches outside of Europe or South America. So it's a big moment for, you know, clubs maybe opening their eyes if it does work. And if they wanted to see what Andrew was like, go on Football Belongs and see his speech mm. with the national team. That was that was brilliant. And and I, I think that that just showed what he's like. He goes, I'm not taking a backward step against mm. Germany. I don't care it's Germany. And so the, the the Celtic fans and the players, I'm sure that will get across to them because nowadays with social media, it gets across. And what a plug for football belongs in Optus Sport. Perfect timing. <laughs> Perfect timing for that speech to come out. That was hair on the back of the next stuff as well. Gents, we've indulged, but that's what the podcast sometimes tends to do. We hope you enjoyed it for day one and we'll be back for the next... Uh, uh, it's 31 days. I don't know how many match days there are in there, but uh, we'll be there for every match day. Don't worry about that. Nick, welcome. Thanks for your time today and for your insight. We look forward to hearing from you and reading your stuff over the next couple of weeks as ever. Thank you so much. I'm super excited uh, to be here, and I just want to say to everyone uh, watching and tuning in, getting an inside look of what you guys do here at Optus has been very special. It's a very special group creating a very special thing, so I'm super excited to be a part no, of it. Thank you. A special game that we all love, and we're blessed to be pouring your heart and soul into it every single day. Yep, and thanks for having me on. I'm excited. I'm that excited. I'm not going to do tonight or tomorrow morning. You can't have a rest. <laughs> I'm having a rest already. <laughs> 3 nil to Italy was just too much. You can have a rest and get yourself ready for Spain in the next couple of days. Yeah, yeah, then I'll do seven days. No, we actually we have uh, – the reason for that is Thomas Sorensen will be across the Denmark game and Luke Wilkshire will be in for Belgium versus Russia. Russia yeah. As he quoted in his preview, my fellow Russians. Yeah, that was interesting. So there you go. He, I know he's, he's married to a Russian wife, but he's calling himself Russian now. <laughs> he might have a Russian passport. Did they give them out? He got, he got very excited during the World Cup, so I look forward to seeing Luke's antics tonight. We might need it after 12 hours into the day. Guys, thanks a lot again to everyone listening. Thank you very much. I normally say until the next episode of the Gagan Pod, enjoy your football. Yes, there is a lot for you to enjoy between now and the next time we speak. Enjoy, and we'll see you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.